You're listening to Lies and Half-Truths, tales written and performed by A.P. Weber. So, we've been taking you through Cephalopod Sign, the first part of my young adult fantasy novel, The Adventures of Woodrow the Wicked, which, incidentally, is now available for download on Amazon. At this point in the story, Woodrow has set the giant cephalopod against those rotten old salvagers, but has unwittingly endangered the life of his new friend, the mysterious pirate girl. Meanwhile, Tamberline the Great Cat has managed to steer clear of the mischievous god's wrath. But now what's the god up to? And, can Woodrow save his new friend before she's drowned by the giant tentacled monster? Will he be eaten by the monster himself? On this episode of Lies and Half-Truths, the fourth and final part of Cephalopod Sight. First, a short break. Stay with us. This episode's sponsor is me. My brand new young adult fantasy adventure novel, The Adventures of Woodrow the Wicked, is now available on Amazon. And what's more, from April 1st through April 5th, it's free. So please go download it. Write a review. Let me know what you think of it. That's The Adventures of Woodrow the Wicked on Amazon. And now, Cephalopod Sign, Part 4. At that moment, the water around the ship began to look as though it were boiling. A tentacle emerged, then another, a third, and a fourth. They wrapped around the salvage vessel. The ship rocked side to side, and the old couple stumbled back and forth. Gravelthroat let go of the girl, who fell forward with the sudden force of the rocking vessel and crashed headlong into the ship's railing. Her body crumpled upon the deck. No, Woodrow said aloud. I'm so stupid. Why did I do this? A second later, he knew what he had to do. He dove back into the water and began pumping toward the ship and the giant tentacled monster attacking it. The gull cocked his head like he were listening. Something else requires my attention, said the voice on the wind. I must leave you now, great cat, but I leave as a friend. The seagull lifted off the ground, flew in three rapid circles, then burst into a shower of feathers. Wind bent the tips of the trees and carried the feathers off toward the island's coast. Tamberline watched the feathers disappear in wonder. The friendship of a god was a dubious honor, to say the least, and there was no way of knowing when or how such a thing might affect the adventure of one's own life. Then she remembered her hunger. It wouldn't be right to eat the fish she had offered to the god, so she went back to the pool 
caught another for herself. By the time Woodrow reached the salvage vessel, the Nanamiho's tentacles held the ship in a crushing embrace. The ship sat much lower in the water, with the weight of the beast pulling it down. The vessel's hull creaked and squeaked like a tin can being crushed. When Woodrow climbed aboard and stood upright, his head swam with stars till he bent over, clasping his knees. The diving, the elaborate sign language, the swim to the shore and then back out to the ship, all after not having eaten in so many days, had begun to take its toll on him. He took several sharp breaths, trying to clear away the spots in his vision. He remembered the girl. This was all his fault and he had to help her. He steadied himself against the railing and looked around. The girl was lying alone on the deck, more or less where she had fallen. At the bow of the ship, the old couple was crouching in front of their altar to Iplio. Woodrow shook his head and then rushed to the girl's side. Her eyes were closed. A knot had developed on her brow. He felt warm breath under her nose. Had he read something about how to revive an unconscious person? He searched his brain for relevant information, but his thoughts were foggy. All he could think of was some silly fairy tale he had read. Think, he commanded himself. Think. The girl's eyelids fluttered. She looked up at him. Oh, good, he found himself saying. I thought I was going to have to kiss you. She wrinkled her nose. What? Never mind. We need to get out of here. The gravelly voice of the old woman came booming from the ship's bow. Iplio judge you for your treachery, boy. We are all doomed now. Woodrow helped the girl to her feet. Don't be stupid. All we have to do is swim to shore. The couple gave him a blank look. Woodrow shrugged and turned to the girl. Let's get out of here. But when he looked into the girl's eyes, they were wide with horror. Woodrow turned around to see what she saw. Beyond the bay, a swell rose up against the horizon, dark with seawater, huge and abhorrent. He squinted. The center of the swell looked gray and spotted white. Two black circles rose above the rest. What is that? I don't know, said the girl, but I think it's angry. The old couple saw it too, and they began cackling wickedly. He has heard us! The great south wind has come to avenge us! The old man squealed. Woodrow and the girl exchanged looks. The swell and the bulky thing concealed within it poured into the bay. It's going to ram us, cried the girl. Hang on to something. Woodrow grabbed her by the arm and pulled her to the rail. They managed to wrap their knuckles around the bar right at the instant of impact. A wave broke over their heads. The ship screamed, her hull turning inward. To Woodrow's surprise, the vessel's hull held. 
He and the girl looked down into the clear water. The shape of the beast from the swell swept by, circling back under for another charge. They saw it in its entirety. It was wide and flat, with a long, sharp tail. The wings rippled in the water as it raced along. Looks like a giant stingray, said the girl. Could it be the god? I don't know, but it does seem very upset with us. We better get out of here. The girl climbed up onto the rail. What are you doing? Woodrow shouted. Follow me. We're going down. There are two sea monsters down there. It'll be fine. Trust me. She inhaled and dove. Woodrow took a deep breath and charged after her. He sank down in a rush of white. He could see the girl's feet beneath him, kicking deeper into the water. He followed. The great eye of the Nanamiho appeared beside him. He kept swimming down, trying to ignore it. Off toward the deep water, he could see the giant stingray wheeling around, preparing its second attack. Below him were the girl, and further down, a sunken vessel, capsized but jutting up. The girl disappeared beneath the sunken vessel. Woodrow followed. His lungs were burning for air, but he had long since passed the point where he could return to the surface before losing consciousness. All he could do was keep pushing water back, diving deeper. He had reached the sunken ship when he heard a deep boom from above. Then the scream of the salvage ship's hull cracking. Woodrow looked up to see the Nanamiho squirming, writhing, falling through the clear water, its form a dark, billowing mass blocking out the sun. It's coming down right on top of me. Woodrow felt something hook him by the back of his shirt collar and pull him backward. The girl dragged him through a gash in the sunken ship's hull. A second later, he emerged into darkness and stale air, gasping for breath. Take it easy, said the girl. A deep rumble troubled the water. Then another. The hull of the sunken ship sheltering them vibrated. That doesn't sound good, came the girl's voice in the darkness. They must be fighting out there, Woodrow responded. Wish I could see that. The girl was fiddling with something in the water. Then a light emerged. She held it up, and Woodrow could see her features hued in green. Bioluminescent light stick, she explained. It's filled with glowing algae. I always keep one on me. Woodrow drifted closer to her. How did you know this was down here? He asked. What? This air pocket. Oh, I don't know. Figured we'd find something like this. You figured? It was just a hunch. Wait, you had us dive into monster-infested waters because you had a hunch there might be an air pocket in one of these sunken ships? It might have been a safer bet to swim to shore, the girl said with a thoughtful frown. But my father always tells me that the safe bet never has the big payoff. Woodrow shook his head. I'm not sure this is the sort of situation your father had in mind. She smiled and rubbed the knot on her brow. Probably not, but to be fair, I had just hit my head pretty hard. Why did you listen to me? Woodrow shrugged. You seem so confident. Yeah, I have that gift. She gestured at the dark chamber around them. And things usually work out. They both laughed. 
It sounded like the battle was moving away from them. What's your name? said the girl. I'm Cassandra. Oh, I guess I never told you. My name's Woodrow. She nodded. I might actually need to hitch a ride with you on your airship, Woodrow. I don't know. I'll have to see your tattoo of passage first. She gave him a look and then laughed again. It was more than an hour before the tumult finally subsided. At one point, it sounded like the two monstrous creatures were right outside again, tumbling and spinning and pummeling each other. The fight ended with a deep moan and what sounded like air surfacing in a mass of bubbles. The two youngsters looked at each other as a long silence ensued. I think it's over, said Cassandra, whispering. The water had darkened when they emerged from hiding. As they swam to the surface, Woodrow searched the bottom of the bay with his eyes. He could not see the Nanamiho anywhere. When the pair arrived at the shore, they collapsed in the wet sand. They rolled over and looked up at the sky, now reddening. The moon had risen above the line of trees to the east. All the best philosophers, at least the ones Woodrow had read, believed the moon had once been a perfect disk in the sky, but it had been shattered at some point before recorded history. Now, the moon floated in half a dozen major pieces and many, many smaller ones, a plate broken against the heavenly vault. Ever wonder how it got like that? Cassandra asked. No one knows, but that's the way it will always be. There's nothing anyone can do about it, said Woodrow, his voice flat with exhaustion. He was thinking about his home, now raised to the ground, his father dead, Tambraline lost, and that Nanamiho either dead or wounded somewhere in the sea. Everything was broken, irrevocably shattered into countless pieces. I think it's beautiful, said Cassandra, still watching the moon. Woodrow looked at her, his eyes red from the salt water. You two are going to answer for this, came a gravelly voice. Woodrow and Cassandra sat up. Old Leatherbag and Gravelthroat stood hunched and dripping, panting and spitting with fury. Cassandra rolled her eyes. You had a knife to my throat. You got what was coming to you. At this, the old sea hag produced the very same knife. You little tart. I should have slit your throat when I had the chance. Woodrow stood. You better drop that knife. Or what? snarled Leatherbag. Or my great cat is going to tear your arms off. The old salvagers looked befuddled. Then Leatherbag noticed Tamberline approaching from the jungle. He yelped. Tamberline trotted toward them, paying the strangers no heed. She had a dead jungle rat dangling from her jaws. She laid the rat before Woodrow and went off a few feet to dig in the sand and relieve her bowels. Cassandra and the salvagers watched all this with uniform, slack-jawed expressions. Thanks, Tam-Tam. I don't suppose you found anything a little more edible, though. You have a pet great cat? Cassandra exclaimed. That's impressive. She's a family pet, Woodrow shrugged, as if the wild animal really did mind him, the way normal pets did. 
Um, Cassandra said, pointing over Woodrow's shoulder. Is that your ship? Woodrow turned. Yep, that's the moon shadow. Wow, it's, it's incredible. Woodrow looked at the flying vessel, as though seeing it for the first time. Yeah, I guess it is. So, are you going to give me a ride or not? said Cassandra. I suppose. Come on, Tam-Tam, let's go. Say, do you know anything about fishing, Cassandra? I'm starving. Cassandra looped her arm in Woodrow's. I, my good sir, she said, am an excellent fisherman. Welcome to my crew, then. We have great need for your services. What about us? The old sea hag moaned. You wrecked our ship. Leave them, said Cassandra. They'll cut your crew's throats as soon as they're aboard. You haven't met my crew. I think they would have a hard time cutting their throats, Woodrow said, and then waved the couple over. Let's go, but I'm dropping you two scoundrels off at the nearest port. Got it? They set off toward the moon shadow. Hartford must have seen them from the bridge, because the airship wheeled around in a shallow loop to come toward them. Is there an angel standing at the bow of your ship? asked Cassandra, stopping momentarily. The old selvagers gaped upward, suddenly apprehensive. It's a demon! said Leatherbag, his voice wavering. I thought that was just a rumor. Please, leave us here. Nonsense, said Woodrow. He's not a demon, and he probably won't even notice you. Cassandra leaned into Woodrow. You really have an angel on your crew? Woodrow sighed. It's a long story. I'll tell it to you later. Thank you for listening to Cephalopod Sign, Part 4, on the Lies and Half-Truths podcast. This story was written and performed by A.P. Weber. The music was provided by the mighty Mackenzie Stubbard, and Josiah Martins wrote the theme song. Meg Weber produced the show, along with me, your host, A.P. Weber. I'd like to invite you to get in touch with us. You can email your feedback to truesandhalftruths at gmail.com. Of course, we're on Facebook, and my Twitter handle is at APWeber. In particular, we'd be interested in hearing from other writers who want their work to be featured on a future episode. The email again is truesandhalftruths at gmail.com. Also, please consider reviewing this show on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you found it. Thanks. Well, that was Season 2. I hope you enjoyed it. Stay subscribed for more featured stories by other great authors and news about Season 3. And of course, don't forget to pick up The Adventures of Woodrow the Wicked on Amazon. Thanks for listening. See you again soon.